What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Tulsa Lately. I'm your host, Mike, and this is the show where I ride around and talk to the various business owners, community leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone else that's out there trying to make green country even more interesting and awesome than it already is. I'm just going to come out and say it because I know it. Regular listeners of the show know it. It's been a fat minute since I've put out an episode. Three weeks, I think. And I didn't give anyone an update or anything, so sorry about that, but... Basically, I spent the last several months doing freelance and contract work, which is awesome for being able to set my own hours when talking to business owners at their convenience, but for me, it was not so great for paying the bills on time. So, I put out some applications, ended up getting an interview, which kind of went from zero to having a job pretty quickly, and that left me scrambling to reschedule with guests because I had new 8 to 5 hours restrictions. So basically, it just kind of brought the podcast to a grinding halt for a bit while I sort of reset and got used to how I was going to have to operate things now. And that includes, actually, I'm going to be taking the show back to one episode per week, just releasing on Tuesday, because I'm not going to force two episodes a week out if it means that there is a drop in the quality that you all have come to respect and admire from me. So, could never betray that. Anyway, let's just jump into this next week's episode because it's a good one to come back on. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a huge fan of meat. All kinds. I don't discriminate from what kind of animal, whether the animal has feathers or hooves or snouts or whatever. I love all kinds of meat. But also I, and frankly anyone with a heart are also disgusted by the horrible factory farming videos that get sent around. I am not a fan of where the U.S. agricultural system has headed and how it handles, you know, its meat and everything like that. And so I found this nice little farm in Tulsa that firmly believes in sustainability and being responsible in how we raise our livestock that we turn into food. So I thought their mission was awesome, they have a great social media presence, and I'm really excited to hear the discussion that we had about all sorts of agricultural issues and the methods that they use. So without further ado, enjoy. So I am here at, I'm starting by the way, I'm starting (laughs) (laughs) I am here at Grassroots Ranch with the uh, two owners. You want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Daniel Rose. And I'm Maria Rose. And how long have you all had a ranch? Uh, let's see. I think we officially started the ranch in 2014, so it's been five years now. Mm-hmm. 2014. How did, I mean, how did you come to have one? It just kind of seems like not many, because you guys are pretty young. You know, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll say, yeah, so not many young people want to jump into ranching. So yeah. how did that happen? Um, yeah, especially like neither of us, uh, came from an agricultural background. Really? I was yeah. expecting that. So. Yeah. Really? Nope. <laughs> um, so I got into it. Actually, just because a friend of mine called me up one day, he had the kind of same background, didn't have any any experience in agriculture, and was like, hey, do you want to try to raise some livestock, like buy some cows or sheep or something? Just for fun. Just on the side. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds interesting. And so we, we did research for about a year into like, what should we start with? And then we interned on a a sheep farm for a little bit. And then eventually I went ahead and purchased 10 sheep and then also was able to find a place, get somebody who could just let me use some property out in Bixby um, and just started with that. Uh, I did that for, I think about two years while I was also uh, studying to be a nurse and planning on going on to be a nurse practitioner. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of when I signed on. So I, yeah. I met Daniel at a Super Bowl party, which neither of us, I mean, watch football or care about football. Sorry, football people, but it's not us. Same. <laughs> I'm there for the for the snacks. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Always for the snacks. And the commercials, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but met him at a Super Bowl party, and he was uh, teaching ballroom dance at the time, and attending community college, and raising a flock of sheep. And I thought, hmm. I am going to marry this man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's when I signed on, and then you continued on in your uh, like pre-med studies, essentially. Yeah. Until you started working at the hospital. Yeah, I was also working at St. Francis at the time, and uh, just found that to be for really? one, an incredible, yeah, m- miserable job. Not rewarding. Yeah, and just uh, mostly from the fact that 
and specifically with the four that I worked on, it was mostly chronic issues that pretty mm. much all went back to diet and health. Um, okay. That, uh, huh. You know, if they simply you know ate better, they they wouldn't be there and they wouldn't be dependent on medication and surgery and and everything else that um, you know they just kind of kept coming back for. And so it just felt like while while going into, it, I felt like it, uh, nursing would be something where it's you know I get to work in biology it's very hands-on and it's you know you're, you're there to serve other people it just didn't feel that way it hmm. didn't have that gratification because you know it, it you were wasn't, patching the symptoms you right. weren't you weren't treating the root of the problem no one was making any real progress okay and so with just not really in, enjoying that um and then kind of you know on on my days off would be going out and taking care of the sheep and you know enjoying being outside um, raising animals, you know, seeing life happen. Um, I've really found that I, I got much more satisfaction out of that. Um, and then at the same time, another friend of mine introduced me to somebody uh, by the name of Joel Salatin, who has really done He's an a author lot and a farmer in promoting small scale agriculture and doing it in a sustainable way that can be both um, you know, beneficial for the land and the animals and also financially successful for mm-hmm. farmers, which is a, a big issue in agriculture today. It's just financial viability of, of starting a farm, yeah. uh, much less continuing a farm. Yeah. Uh, continuing a farm or a family farm that's it's been going for years the thing is if you want to get into agriculture you need a million dollars and if you have a million dollars what the heck are you getting into agriculture for (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah but yeah through reading some of his books he kind of really laid out a strategy and a plan of how you can get started in agriculture without a bunch of capital and i just kind of went with that and and uh at yeah, kind of every, everything kind of lined up pretty quickly actually um, at that same time I got connected with uh, a couple who had just bought a piece of property this property we're on now just north of downtown Tulsa and they were looking to build on it but there was um, you know another section of it that had a house already and had some land that could be used so they were wanting to lease it out and so I was able to lease this property and get started on it which is definitely the easiest way to get started in agriculture um so it wasn't you know big capital investment or anything and then from there we kept doing the sheep for a little while and then we got some cows some pigs some chickens and it's kind of grown from there mm-hmm. that's awesome that seems like a pretty big risk too because i mean a nurse practice what, what were you doing before you started this uh i was an american sign language interpreter oh cool so which i currently still am i can do some contract work on the side and stuff like that but i primarily work for the farm now okay awesome because that just, it seems like a risk to go from, you know, a big risk to go from a solid, stable career where you're guaranteed a good salary to just jumping right into farming. So was it, so you were saying it's just because that was just what you realized you love doing. Um, yeah, it was, it? Uh, yeah, there was, there was like a, a big part of that. I mean, whether yeah. or not I make as much money, I'm going to love what I'm doing. Absolutely. So, right. And now here I, you are. Yeah, I spent a lot of time wrestling over that because, yeah, that is the, the issue there. Nursing is very reliable. You can get a job anywhere, and it's, you know, decent pay. And, yeah, agriculture is definitely not that. But, yeah, with, with after wrestling with what I wanted to do and what I felt like I should do, um, and praying about it, I felt like the real, the most satisfying thing in life that you can do is enjoy your work. You know, that's what you're going to be doing most of your life. And so if you don't enjoy it, then, you know. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I, I, I was getting the tour of the farm before. And, you know, so now we can get into a little bit what you touched on, which is the, um, the sustainability that you're going for and just all the different processes because I didn't realize I knew that you all had the grass-fed thing and you were sort of a locally sourced farm so that's what got me interested but then I'm listening to the process of how everything interconnects and so why don't you sort of explain that yeah yeah so uh, 
basically, uh, just kind of recap for the listeners, just kind of talking about how the main goal of what we're doing is to essentially recreate an ecosystem where we can take these animals and we can fit them back in to where not only are the animals getting the, the greatest benefit, but so is the land. The land is benefiting and um, whenever it comes time to essentially reap the harvest of stewarding those resources well, um, our consumers also get the benefit of having well-stewarded, humanely raised, stress-free meats that essentially heal the body instead of do what Daniel was seeing day in and day out at the hospital where we're damaging the body through just recklessly eating these fast foods. Kind of going back to, to a slower, the slow food movement, right? That starts with not only your consumption of the food, but um, how it's raised. And so that's, that's what we want to do. Um, that's what we've been doing and, and want to see continue to grow. Yeah, and our agricultural system is set up right now to where it just does not, I mean, it just burns up resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, conventional agriculture. Yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, it's just not a sustainable model. And unfortunately, we put more and more weight on it and, and kind of pressure other people, like other other countries, kind of to adopt our model and it's a model that doesn't work yeah this monoculture model where we burn through these pesticides and we're it's it's heavy input right you're you're putting a ton into a system that you're not getting a lot of return from and calling it what's going to feed america yeah well it, it, it yeah and it just doesn't work long term i mean when you talk to somebody in agriculture they'll they'll try to say that this is this is ha- the only way that we can feed the world oh gosh um, they're the most disgusting and exaggeration and lie this is, I mean, our, our current agricultural model is something that's only been around for about 60 years. Yeah. Um, it really became fully what it is after World War II. And a lot of it occurred um, because of the, really, the excess materials. Um, for bombs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that nitrogen that we were talking about. I mean, that's what... Nitrogen, phosphorus, mm-hmm. potassium are your three ingredients that go into fertilizer. And, and they bombs. also make bombs. <laughs> So after World War II, we had a whole bunch of it. And actually, so the really fascinating fact is, or yeah, is that um, all of the debates that we have now about natural versus synthetic was the same argument that was going on before World War II. Um, if really? you read the literature back then, you had you know half half the scientists were saying you know stick with natural. I mean, I have a book from 1920 on uh, composting England or that uh, an English scientist was doing in India on um, basically how to use compost to improve this organic matter of the soils there instead of using artificial manures that were just now coming around at that time. With okay. the phosphorus and the nitrogen. And- yeah. Um, but what really made the swing into the artificial fertilizers is was World War II because we had <clears throat> those in mass production all of a sudden yeah. and then they needed to get rid of them cheaply and so farmers bought the cheap option and then it just kind of grew into a dependence on that really yeah huh it's Uh, a rich rich history and like i mean very highly political food is very political but uh but i mean and then maybe getting off track a little bit but no no there's no getting off track uh, (laughs) (laughs) don't worry about that (laughs) but to the point of um yeah, yeah. Can we can we feed the world doing things, you know, slow food or or, or whatever? I mean, there's it's a few it's how simple. How we've been feeding the world. There's there's a few simple statistics that kind of show that doing things differently is not all that wouldn't be that big of a shift. And one of those is just that the farming now makes up, I think, as far as occupations in the United States, one percent, I think, are farmers. Whereas mm-hmm. I think just sixty years ago it was over fifty percent. Mm. And then the other is that half of the food that we produce is wasted hmm. so if right there if we just became you know that much more efficient at well not wasting all the food we produce we could feed twice as many people i mean that in itself is enough to just say do we really need to be pushing this mass scale if it's just such a wasteful system but yeah uh, i think if we just were willing to spend a little bit more and value our food just a little bit more that money would go a lot further to producing agricultural jobs that are constantly declining and farms constantly failing hmm. um, but yeah so our our i guess to bring that back around our goal and sustainability is is one for 
sustainability in the land that we're not just using up resources you know whether that's the animals or or just the soil itself but also uh financially uh sustainable and sustainability Um, in the system yeah and just that uh rebuilding it from the ground up yeah much most of our current farms in america are, are not very financially sustainable i mean they would uh it would take very little for um you know some an occurrence to happen and and that you know flooding or, or whatever and i mean they'd be out of business just because they're working off of such small margins and they only raise one thing you know if you're a farmer they say oh you know what do you raise saying you know is it corn is it wheat is it mm-hmm. soy yeah what is your one crop whenever really this if you're gonna have a sustainable model you've got to thrive off of diversity yeah. So why don't you explain some of the steps in that process? Like, let's start with, you know, you've got the youngest chickens over there in the mm-hmm. little coop. So let's kind of start there and work through how you guys, how each step depends on its on another one. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we'll start with cattle, just in that what we're doing with them is we're mimicking basically what the bison used to do in um, you know, primarily in, in the Midwest, that uh, they'd come through in these large, dense herds of animals and graze that portion of land down over a very short period of time. And whatever didn't get grazed was trampled down. You know, manure was spread, urine was spread on the on the grasses, and then they quickly moved off to the next area. Um, so this very intense and quick period of impact would happen on the soil and the grasses you know if you came the day after it looked like everything just was dead but what that's doing is basically creating a a, well it's starting a new cycle of growth in the grasses that the grasses have adapted to do based off of that grazing pattern if you allow grasses to just grow up They'll go to seed, but the plant matter simply oxidizes. It doesn't break down like you like a like composting. Um, doesn't turn into rich soil. It basically the carbon that made up that plant matter is released into the air, and hmm. the plant matter just kind of sits on the ground and and I guess uh, creates a barrier to growth instead of something that's going to yeah break chokes down out the stuff and, around yeah. it. Okay, so um, it actually helps the grass to grow for something to eat it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, if you trim that grass back, that basically reactivates a cycle in which the roots start to grow more and grow deeper. Oh, interesting. And then with roots growing deeper, it puts out more of a stalk, and that stalk is it, it, the goal is to produce a stronger to, plant. A, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another seed head. Um, and if you keep that cycle going, once that stalk is then bit off by an animal, the first thing that happens is the those the very ends of the roots break off of the plant, and those are basically composted into the soil, building the soil up, and then that whole cycle starts again. So the grass and the cattle, I mean, they're they're meant to go together, and if you take one away, the system breaks, and yeah. you end up losing uh, the benefit of both. And then the chickens come into that through, uh, much like you know, if you ever see any pictures of the the savannas and stuff like that, you, you know, if you see big herds of animals grazing you often see birds and stuff in there as well and that's because they're there eating the flies and other bugs that would be a nuisance to the livestock and so the the chickens come along and uh, there's a particular type of fly that's a, a a parasite a parasitic fly for cattle called horn flies and they reproduce through the manure of the cattle but when chickens come along and scratch that manure out it dries it out quickly and doesn't give a a environment for the flies to thrive in. Very interesting. And they eat the larvae of the flies, so it keeps the flies down off of the off of the cattle and you know provides food for the the chickens. And then again, the chickens are adding manure to the pasture along with the cattle, and that's going into the soil and building the soil. Um, and so all of that just kind of happens in cycles and in a rhythm and over time it builds up the soil it improves the grass which allows you to you know have more cattle more chickens the cattle grow better on the grass i mean it's 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 a a cycle that i guess uh improves in a in a just a, a positive way instead of 
degrading the the area like gotcha. most systems are set up in agriculture. Yeah, because she was pointing out those patches of grass you can see in your neighbor's land where the coop has been over before, and mm-hmm. I was I could see myself with an untrained eye. There's some patches that are thicker and taller, and that she was saying, yeah, that's where the the chickens we had the coop sitting over there and mm-hmm. stuff, and so that's 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 really cool. Let's talk about the pigs now mm-hmm. because. I saw them up there, and now, now you use the term forested pigs. Yeah. So describe the difference between how you raise pigs and how a traditional farm raises pigs. So traditional farms, um, almost exclusively uh, in the commercial hog business, it's, it's raised in confinement. In, yeah, in confinement, in, in hog houses. They're on slatted floors um, to manage the massive amounts of manure they put out. Massive. <laughs> um, and uh, other thing, other precautions are done, like they'll cut their tails off. Um, because otherwise, the nervous energy of the pigs, they will literally bite each other's tails off. Well, they, they're, wow. they're very smart animals, and they get bored. And when they're packed into small areas, they start, yeah, gnawing yeah, having on each other. Having destructive behaviors and, instead um, of constructive behaviors like we have here. And uh, when they're young, when they're, when they're just born, they, they actually will, will uh, break out, break some of their teeth out. Uh, they're specifically they're called wolf teeth. It's basically they're, they're canines, and they'll uh, break those off of the them to so again so that they don't hurt each other when they're biting each other. It's just so accepted that they're just going to be biting each other and attacking. Oh, absolutely! Each other, yeah, they they're just, just trying to yeah. manage the damage essentially. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that's pretty much exclusively what happens in a commercial system. If you notice in the store, you'll have. Um, when it comes to beef, you've got you know your uh, standard beef yeah. with your grass-fed beef and kind of different ranges of quality and stuff like that. Uh, with chicken, you have free-range, pastured, cage-free, all of that. When it comes to pork, it's pretty much like you have natural pork, and that's which the means only nothing. other option. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unregulated term. You can literally ah. slap the natural label on absolutely anything, and so natural pork. Means nothing. <laughs> yeah. I always kind of have laugh at that because, like, what does natural mean? Yeah, I mean, a chemical legally, that's made in a lab is technically natural. Yeah, legally yeah. natural <laughs> means nothing. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. is natural. If you, anyway, though, yeah. But um, yeah, so the way we produce uh, pork is we raise our pigs in the forest, and we we do that because we just you know with our cattle and chickens, we we looked at nature and where do pigs thrive? And if you, I mean, it was kind of looking at the fact that uh, Texas, Oklahoma, we have a wild hog problem. Mm. So obviously they do pretty well here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And they primarily thrive in the forest because you have nuts like uh, pecans and acorns and walnuts. We have a lot of hardwoods here. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they also eat the roots of small trees. They'll eat the grasses and the leaves off of off of shrubs and things like that. Um, we also have quite a few wild fruits. You know, we have a lot of blackberries um, we have stuff like sand plums Persimmon. and persimmons. So there's a lot of things that the, the pigs can really thrive on in the forest. Um, but on top of that, uh, pigs are not, they don't have a lot of hair on them. So if they're out in the sun, like if we just put them out in a field, um, they actually will get sunburned. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they <laughs> do a lot better in shaded areas. So yeah, we, we started fencing off our, our forests and into different sections and now we kind of rotate the pigs through there so that again we can have that same cycle of uh coming in and, and foraging and and kind of uh working over a small area yeah turning over the forest mm-hmm. floor and then having it rest for a long period to regenerate okay i've got to ask this is this 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 is kind of a silly question but um I listen to I listen to Joe Rogan sometimes, and there's this thing that he says because he loves he loves all this sort of natural natural process with you know raising meat and you know hunting and stuff the purity of that and uh, but he says this thing about pigs mm-hmm. where he says that if they're in the wild if you just let a domestic pig out in the wild then it'll just grow tusks and like turn into a wild pig is that a well, he says that a lot, like he knows it's a fact. So, and so I've never found someone knowledgeable enough to ask that. <laughs> um, so yes and no. So that like if you just took the individual pig and put it out in the wild, it's not going to do that itself. But okay. the reason that they so quickly turn into you know the the iconic razorback hog is um, 
because they just reproduce so quickly. Oh, and so okay. they can adapt much, much faster. So the I mean, domestication breeds out quicker than... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That so, makes I mean, sense. Okay. With... Uh, with hogs, they will their gestation is only um, four months, so they can have up, you know, up to three litters in a year, and each litter can have up to ten pigs. More, you can have way more than ten. It, it is possible I've seen, but um, but ten's pretty well the average. So I mean, one sow can produce thirty pigs. You know, compared to a cow, which is going to produce one calf a year. Okay. Um, so just the the how quickly they can adapt to their environment is, and so yeah, you're going to start to see those tusks come back, the long snout because they can root further down to the ground, and yeah. Well, they've also got to scrap for a living too. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. our pigs aren't they don't really have to scrap for a living. They kind of yeah. have it really nice, <laughs> you know. So. Kind of got a little Garden of Eden for him back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they definitely don't have to fight each other and be aggressive like a like a wild pig. So um, once you kind of have to do that, then you start growing the things that you need for it, like tusks and things like that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the licensing and regulations that you'll have to deal with. Because mm-hmm. I know that there's just, from what little I know about the agriculture industry, there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you what do you feel like are some of the biggest things that you have to kind of deal with or work around? So the biggest one is processing, the butchering of the animals. Uh, as far as the production of the animals, there's really not much regulation on it. But... You know, for us, because we do, I mean, we, from starting the animal when, when they're a baby all the way to processing it and selling the cut of meat, we have to deal with the whole processing side of agriculture. And that's where it's very heavy in regulations. And that's primarily because commercial ag- agriculture is typically very... Dangerous. Well, dangerous, but also it's, it's very um, vertically integrated. So, mm. uh, like, for chickens, for instance... Tyson pretty much owns the entire process. They right. they own the hatchery, they own the birds, they own the feed. Um, the only thing they don't own is the farmer that's contracted out to grow it. But they kind of do. It essentially is almost <laughs> like indentured slavery. Well, yeah, they're, because they're the bank. You know, they are. They're the yeah, bank that lends the, to them. What? Yes. Oh yeah. wow. Tyson is the bank that lends to Tyson's farmers. So if you can't pay the bank, Tyson gets your stuff <laughs> it's, um, it's, wow. it's insane <laughs> and yeah. and they i mean they they set the regulations for how the houses should be updated and things so like that. so if you pay off your if you pay off your equipment essentially they can say oh our regulations actually our rules and regulations just uh we jumped up standards so you have to take out another loan to essentially improve your equipment <clears throat> but uh they, then they then they own the 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 processing the packaging just every part of that and because they own all of that because it's so big it needs a lot of regulations otherwise they do their own thing because they're not competing against anybody yeah it really right. is um, a monopoly i mean they say that you know we've got monopoly laws and things like that but i mean it, it's <laughs> yeah it's dirty <laughs> um but unfortunately, those laws trickle down to small processors as well yeah. so you're trying to control the giants but you're essentially you're you're hampering essentially the the small guys that are trying to to do the right thing as well Hmm. but for us to sell meat retail for us to sell it at a store or to a restaurant or at the farmer's market we have to have it yeah at the farmer's market we have to have it processed at a usda certified facility which uh there's only about three of those in oklahoma for beef and pork yeah um, and then for our chicken, we actually have to go to Arkansas or Kansas because there are no USDA chicken processors in hmm. Oklahoma. So we have to get a process through them. Um, and then... Kind of seems like that helps Tyson in a way, almost. Well, yeah, because they like own the restricting how many <laughs> Restricting how many processors are... Yeah. That um, <laughs> seems like it helps more than... Anyway, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a... The unfortunate thing is it's very high cost for the processors and that trickles down to the farmers and so you gotcha. know, people ask about you know our why our prices are so high and i mean half of our costs is just in paying our butcher yeah paying the butcher wow. whereas commercial products all of those all your your pork all of your beef all your um chicken the processors are owned by the person who you know is producing the the product so i mean they're processing costs nothing costs for them yeah anything hmm. but uh 
there are, there are a few laws in which like like in Oklahoma you can process chickens on the farm. Um, oh, okay. And people can come to the farm and buy them from you, but, but you can only do a limited amount. A limited okay. amount, and I mean we it it really limits our our market. You know, we can we can only market to those people who are willing to come out to our farm and pick it up. Which now we live in an age of convenience, where if we're going to thrive as a modern farm, we need to find the middle ground. Um, hmm. And so we need to do things like we've done in our model, where we we offer home deliveries, we we go to the customer, we are working with local restaurants and coffee shops and bakeries, and doing marketing through there. Essentially, we could do none of that if we were doing our our own processing. And limited, mm-hmm. essentially, in how how far we could market and, okay, and where we so could. So you can't products. distribute from your farm, not at all. But you yeah. can. But you're allowed to process it and then drive it to someone. No, 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 no. What do you mean by delivery then? So we we can do delivery. Okay. Because we are USDA processed. Because oh, we're taking you, it someplace else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha, legally, gotcha. there's a loophole where we could process it ourselves as long as. You know, an individual customer came to us and bought it oh, on our farm. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Okay. So it would just limit us to the point of not being worth it. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying now. But yeah, so because we have to take it through a USDA processor, it means we have to, I mean, our, the end product that we're selling is all dependent on how how well the processor handles it. Hmm. Um, so it, it's a, been a very difficult part of the business to manage because you know we can do an incredible job raising the animal and have the best product but you know if we take it to the butcher and they butcher it in a bad way <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i mean we've used like what, what several do, do about that <laughs> yeah we've used several different butchers and they i mean every one of them seems to do something just really ridiculous wacky. like you yeah. know we got just the other day we got filet mignon back that was like Maybe a quarter inch thick, so just like little these little slivers of filet mignon. Just which, destroyed it. Destroyed it. That hurts my heart to hear that. Oh, <laughs> gosh, yeah. We uh, might have shed some tears over it. Yeah, and just, yeah, it, it, it's always always a, a struggle trying to make sure the butcher is, is doing everything that you're asking them to do um, yeah. because you got one shot at it, and, you know, they cut it the wrong way then then there's your product that thing that you that's said, all you we, know like yeah a I year mean. essentially for beef it's a year pouring pouring everything into it and and finishing it and really working hard i mean they it takes one slice for them of a knife to just ruin your product hmm. mm-hmm. and it just kind of stick because you're sort of limited on your options like yep. one guy I mean, screws up it's like yeah they hand it back to you and i mean that's that's what your livelihood is based off of getting that and selling it to a customer huh. Yeah, you can't have. I mean, they're not going to pay for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that has by far been our biggest hang-up is not having that control over that last part of uh, the business of being able to process and then just packaging and how our packages Making sure, look. Yeah, our quality that we put into raising the animal is seen through to the very end. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, all right, so you don't use, you don't lay down fertilizer mm-hmm. yourselves. You don't spray pesticides to stop the bugs. You don't buy big bags of feed to feed the animals and stuff. They eat the grasses and the stuff that are naturally grow in the area. Well, we do because, so we don't do feed for our cows, but sure. um, chickens and pigs are actually omnivores. Okay. So right. they, oh, yeah. they need a balanced diet, so they do need a feed supplement. So the feed that we do use for our pigs and our chicken, well, for our omnivores, um, is GMO-free from a locally, it's milled locally from a Okay, you know. yeah. Mm-hmm. So even, even more to my point that I was about to make then, because that seemed, that all seems about as organic as it could possibly get. Mm-hmm. But yet you had said towards the beginning that you don't technically have that legal label of yeah. certified organic. So why is that? Because it seems obvious to me walking around for five minutes that you that you have an organic process. Yeah, the, the main, main reason we don't have that is um, it's expensive. Hmm. And so it's just adding more costs to our product which we just don't feel that our current market would be able Care. to uh, well yeah oh, want to pay okay. that much more for right. it right you know Fairly it's already long. more than what they're paying in the store and so yeah we, i don't know that they'd see that label as that much more valuable hmm. the other 
part of it is to be organic. I mean, we can have organic pastures, we can have organic feed, we can have all of that. But if you don't have an organic processor, you can't have an organic certified ah, product. okay. Which is unfortunate because the process is not any different. It's just they have to... They slice it with organic steel knives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they literally just have to have like a separate room for the organic stuff to be in, you know, and then they have to, they can't process it in the same. So if they were processing meat, they would have to shut down the facility, clean everything, and then do the organic meat. Oh, um, okay. And so it's, a, it's another added expense on the processor side, even though. There's nothing, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're not using or, organic stuff that uh, they wouldn't otherwise be using. You know, they don't use any organic chemicals plastic. or yeah, <laughs> anything no in the processing. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's a little ridiculous on that end. Hmm. But that that isn't the other big limiting factor is even if we wanted to pay the extra dollar for it, we, we just don't even have it as an option. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That's that's just. But I mean, basically, basically, you're an organic farm. I mean, yeah. Well, and <laughs> wink, wink. Don't wink, use the wink. word. Okay. It's an expensive right. word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, the, but the reality is, is I mean, it, and sometimes we'll, we'll we'll say this to try to just get the point across is we're, we're more we're beyond organic in, in okay. many ways. And that's a label. It's, organic is almost, it's almost sort of become a selling term more than an actual. Yeah. Well, because to me at least, just from yeah, no, it it definitely has. I mean, um, unfortunately, now you know. I mean, with any new phrase or new word that catches a lot of attention and acquires a a higher price point, you're going to get all of the uh, USDA laws around it, and then you're going to get the larger companies trying to take advantage of it. Yeah, right. Get at you know get as much money out of it without actually changing anything and so with that organic has become something uh, much different than what it used to be and and every year it kind of gets um whittled away at as far as the the spirit of what it was originally how it originated and to that point i mean if you're going to the store and you're buying organic pork organic chicken or whatever Really, the only difference there is the they're eating organic feed. Yeah, that um, organic pork is still coming from a pig that's raised on slats with, you know, chopped off teeth and a chopped off tail. <laughs> yeah, um, same thing. I mean, or chickens in still inside a, a large building, you know, and you know, never sees sunlight. Yeah, it's just the only difference is really that they're eating organic feed. Yeah, is the feed, and they're owned by someone willing to pay for the extra. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, whereas, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people when they think organic, they think of basically our farm where animals are out on pasture and they're happy and and raised well. Um, and it and sounds a little snooty to say, but I mean, what what we do cannot be bought in stores. Yeah. At um, all, no matter what label, even if you're getting pastured free range chicken, it's not what you see on our farm. Well, hmm. yeah, it just it's uh, yeah because it's something that can't be done commercially. The large companies can't. You can reproduce, only scale so far. Yeah, what you're doing because they they make their money off of efficiency, and efficiency in agriculture can really only happen when you control the elements. And to do that, you have to have yeah, everything has to be inside. Yeah, you've hmm. got to control the animal. It has to become a machine instead of an animal. Yeah. Instead of what we do, which is embrace the animal and allow it to thrive in the environment in which it was supposed to be placed. Yeah. Because, yeah, the way we do things is definitely not the most efficient way to put meat on the table. But that's not simply our goal. It's a marriage of efficiency and stewardship. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you've used that word a few times, stewardship. So what does that mean to you in terms of responsibility as a rancher? Yeah, um, I think stewardship is something that's gained traction, especially in our generation, because we see, you know, our oceans are filled with plastic. We are taking advantage of, of basically every single commodity, and we've just destroyed the earth for it, you know, and right. and we've decided like oh gosh we should actually look around and start taking care of our earth in a way that generationally our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will actually have something to live on Mm. you know and so for us that's that's what it means it means taking an animal that god made and 
placed specifically on this earth for a purpose and respecting that purpose and and treating it in a way that is respectful during its life and fulfills its purpose and its death and takes care of the earth in the process and, and nurtures families' bodies whenever they're consuming our product. Just putting thought and intention into every aspect of what we do. Mm. I feel like that's really cool because, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to debate with really hardcore vegans because they're saying true things about the factory farming process about you know absolutely it's like i feel like that i you know agree with a lot more with you know vegans than someone who loves meat would say you know and so i so that's just really cool that yes there is a middle ground there that at the end of the day the animals are still being eaten but they don't have to suffer the whole time. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, I I have a special place in my heart for vegetarians and vegans. I really do. I mean, like, we eat a largely, I eat, Daniel loves meat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I eat a largely plant-based diet just because I feel it's the most sustainable. But the fact that an animal has a purpose, and, and especially now, actually, that we raise the animals, I see the fact that we, we were designed to eat to eat meat and to be omnivores humans are omnivores and so seeing the way that we manage things and the way that whenever we manage these animals it benefits the earth you get essentially an abundance from that you know you get a ton of pigs you get a ton of cows you get a ton of chickens um, whenever you're doing things properly and whenever you have that abundance it would be irresponsible to waste that resource Mm -hmm. Um, and it would be irresponsible to see that animal that had a purpose, you know, live to a geriatric age where you're giving it, I don't know, glaucoma medicine. Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, and so seeing that from from our perspective, now that I'm in it, I, I believe in what we do even more than whenever we started out. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's mad love for the vegans, though. Mad love for them. <laughs> I mean, they have standards and they and they stand by the ethics of their diet, which is what we do as well in a different way. Um, but yeah. 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 I would just say that, that, I mean, our perspective is that these animals very much have a a role to, to play in an Um, ecosystem. mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a food chain. Yeah. And, um, we can't just exclude them from that, but, uh, but also that pretty well what you're saying, Mm -hmm. the, the, the overabundance that we're able to glean from that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So where do you all primarily, you're talking about, you know, delivering it, and then you said something, you had some sort of subscription service. Where do you all primarily do your sales? Um, so primarily it's through our website, grassrootsranch.com, and it's, uh, we've spent a lot of time and, and effort in getting set up to where it can be just as easy as any other online purchasing process. So it's just, yeah, going on there, placing an order, and then we get that and uh, deliver it straight to people's homes throughout Tulsa and surrounding area, um, out to Owasso and Glenpool and Bixby, Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. So that, that's our primary point of sales. Uh, we also sell to restaurants in Tulsa. We oh, cool. have what some restaurants? products at uh, Roosevelt's on Cherry Street. Oh, yeah. um, there's a new, uh, really good restaurant in South Tulsa called Levon. At or I think it's pronounced Levan. At um, was it uh, 101st and Yale? The only reason why you should go to South Tulsa, in my opinion, <laughs> <laughs> I will I will drive from North Tulsa to South Tulsa for Levan. And then uh, let's see, Orin on Brookside, and then also Foolish Things Coffee Shop in downtown. And then there also there are other location on Brookside, um, Bar and Biscuit, mm-hmm. Kitchen 27 at Philbrook. Yeah, so the, there's a couple others that we will uh, sell to periodically for like special events stuff like that as mm-hmm. well and then uh the third area that we sell in is at the broken arrow farmers market mm-hmm. in the rose um, district yeah which is up and coming yeah i mean they it are is. gaining traction i i do not remember broken arrow being a place that i wanted to go when i was a kid i was like Aw. <laughs> yeah and they said you're allowed to drink outside of the bars in the street and then yeah no it's it's and they they even i mean the city put in an effort to create a specific space for their farmer's market yeah. so it's got a great oh, okay. pavilion that's you know you know so you can be out of the sun or out of the rain 
um, and still Splash go out to the farmer's the market. Yeah. I mean, it's we love it. Yeah. When does that happen? I'd it like happens, to... uh, yeah, every Saturday from April to October. Okay. 8 a.m. to noon. Mm-hmm. I had something in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> that happens sometimes when I don't write questions down. But, uh, no, yeah, I guess we can just talk more about, or, well, I don't know. Did you guys have anything else to add? Oh, man. Oh, wait, no, here, here's what I was going to ask. Oh. Sorry. Uh, okay, so why is it, if I'm subscribing to get meat from you, all regularly. What are the advantages to me using you all versus butcher bucks? Right. So one of the biggest things is because we are local, there's there's a level of transparency there that you just cannot get whenever you're going through, you know, butcher box, which is a national chain that is essentially doing I don't wanna mix them with Tyson. They are doing really great things for like sustainably raised meats, but they're they're taking a lot of different farms and they're getting a bunch of different meats from a lot of different farms to have a bunch of different standards. And so there's that aspect of it to where you're getting it from one farm um, that you can go to, literally visit yourself and see how it's being raised. And we we do control the process of delivery a lot better. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, we are out there in our temperature controlled delivery van um, and we are doing the deliveries straight from our walk-in freezer to our temperature controlled van to your door in a in a reusable insulated bag yeah um and so Hmm. and and on top of that you're also getting notifications uh there's mm -hmm. automatic notifications so that 30 minutes before your order is dropped off you get a notification. Um, you're informed, and then when it's dropped off, you're oh, notified. Oh, cool. So yeah. Okay, that so there's way, no risk that it's left out. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> know when we're on our way, if you need to like leave work and swing home, or you know whenever it's dropped off and you've got a certain amount of time because your your product is in an insulated bag. And um, so, yeah, it's not you're not guessing, you know, trying to get an email notification of when UPS has dropped off your, um, your thing, which is in typically a disposable styrofoam container, which mm-hmm. is not... As sustainable and I mean statistically speaking the retention rates of those order and like subscription based grocery services is, is little to none I'm pretty sure they pay for all their positive reviews <laughs> so. yeah well and then I mean also one of the big ones is we're a lot cheaper than they are oh yeah we're cheaper uh, oh really oh <laughs> yeah, okay mostly right. because um, well, that works. i mean because they're There's having no to ship man. it throughout the country yeah. i mean shipping frozen meats is very expensive yeah. ah that makes sense but we're just delivering it straight to your door so we're, we're able to cut out that that cost so yeah we're if you're already doing subscription meats and stuff like that it's definitely a cheaper option just to buy it locally okay. cheaper more sustainable more transparent it's kind of a win in every area yeah it's where like the actual happy middle ground between convenience and sustainability exists i mean buying locally is doesn't get more convenient and sustainable than that it doesn't have to travel thousands of miles to get here hmm. um and so yeah, it's mm-hmm. and it's supporting local business. Yeah. And, you know, supporting and supporting local, local business. business which, you know, we're yeah. all for it. Yeah, yeah. We're, and yeah, this area is exploding. This mm-hmm. area is really blowing yeah. up. So that's why I wanted to start the show. Talk to people. About awesome. Yeah, I mean Tulsa. So. Whenever we were young, you know, everyone wanted to get out of Tulsa, and now everyone is leaving and coming chains. right back. It was just like high. It was just like two highways lined with chain stores and restaurants mm-hmm. for the longest time. Yeah, so yeah. rough. <laughs> But the food scene has exploded, which we love. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's our jam. I mean, we were all about the food scene. And so uh, the fact that that has diversified and, and gotten way more interesting and mm-hmm. um, way more sustainable. I mean, the chefs that have committed to buying our products are amazing. The stuff that they do with, with our ingredients is, oh, gosh, mind-blowing. They do such a good job. Um, and so... We we love that about Tulsa. We love we love that young people are are loving it again. You know, instead of being like, oh, I just want to get out and go to a big city. Like, Tulsa's a great great again great marriage of the two, best of both worlds. You get yeah, like you something go. that's safe and great to raise a fl- a family in, and also interesting and not super boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Now, is there anything? Is there any other last notes that you wanted to add or? How about where can people find you on social media and what's maybe say your website again? 
if you didn't. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website is grassrootsranch.com. Pretty easy to remember. And then um, our Instagram handle is grassroots Tulsa, um, which I'm typically always on Instagram stories making a fool of myself and doing something (laughs) interesting so um, definitely give us a follow there and then um, on Facebook it's just uh, Grassroots Ranch which Grassroots is one word so Grassroots Ranch and that's that's us Mm -hmm. Uh, that's our all of our things I will never get a Twitter so long (laughs) as Trump is on it (laughs) <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, there's not anything that I could possibly say in that limited amount of characters anyway. So <laughs> Twitter's kind of a dumpster fire. Uh, I've heard. I've kind of, I kind of get the feeling. I so. heard that, and then I joined because someone said it was smart because I should have a social media presence. Yeah, you were like, podcast, do it for the news. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, I, I love what you all are doing here. Like I, you know, like we were talking about before, I feel like a lot of millennials have major problems with the factory farming and stuff like that, but you know, none of them really are doing anything about it or know how to do anything about it. And you guys are, you guys are having your own little contribution and it's awesome. Love your setup here. So I hope, I wish you the best of success. Thank you. Thank you for talking. Thank you. And that wraps it up for this week's episode. Once again, that is Grassroots Ranch. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, and of course their website where you can place orders to get meat delivered to your door. And they had kind of been talking about how they had sort of casually mentioned that they were a bit of a more expensive option. I checked them out myself, and I mean, it is more than, I don't know, buying chicken breasts at Walmart, the great value brand or something. But it's really not that expensive. It's not. It's certainly not exorbitant. It's about what you pay at, I don't know, Sprouts or even Reesers or something. I don't know. Anyway, definitely check them out. Coming down the pipeline, I am currently coordinating an interview with a representative of a nonprofit that actually trains service dogs. So yeah, really great mission that's helping out a lot of people, but it's also for selfish reasons because, of course... I'm going to take every opportunity that I can to pet a bunch of dogs, which I'm hoping I would get the chance to do. But yeah, as always, follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, as well as the website, TulsaLately.com, which I periodically update. And of course, find past, present, and future episodes of the show on the Soundstooth app, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, I think... I don't know, all the important podcast platforms. And if you listen to one that isn't one of the ones that I have, then you can always search my RSS feed, which you can find on my website and social media accounts. But with all that being said, Tulsa and surrounding areas, that about does it. So I will see y'all 